coming up on today's episode, we talk about a whole bunch of TV and a sexy gay coloring book. Welcome to the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for readers and writers of gay romance fiction. If you can read it, write it, watch it, or listen to it, these two guys are going to talk about it. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Adams and Will Knauss. Welcome to episode number 25 of Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from jeffadamswrites.com. And I'm Will from willknauss.com. I'm feeling kind of weird this morning. <laughs> <laughs> It feels like it's been like a really long time. I know it's only been a week since we've done this, but... Which is odd, do because... I, I feel out of practice. I don't know. We were... There was the two... You know, we had the gap because we were away. Yeah. And then we came back and... But we did it late last week because we were coming oh, back we, from the uh, trip. Maybe that's it. Now we're back at our regular time slot yeah. of recording, but yeah, okay. it's a little goofy. Feels a little weird. Uh, yeah. If only you guys saw some of the outtakes... That go on. There you go. Okay. Um, how you doing? <laughs> it's out of sorts. Uh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Cool. You've been busy this week, though. I have been busy this week. Well, you have been too, because you helped make me busy this week. Um, oh, I suppose in in uh, in reality you did, yeah, in a roundabout way. Yeah. So I'm editing on two projects right now. Uh, I've been talking about for. Feels like forever. <laughs> a long time. That yes. I've been editing uh, the first book of Codename Winger. Um, it's moving along. I'm hoping, I hope I get done this week, uh, but it may drag into the first bit of April. Mm-hmm. I think my realistic deadline right now is to have it done before we leave for New York. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I'm making good edits. I mean, I feel like the feedback I got from everybody gave some solid direction. You know, they told me I had a solid thing, and I was just kind of making it better, mm-hmm. which is what you want your beta readers to do. Yeah. Um, and then you gave me back the short story that I wrote. Yes. Um, which I haven't picked up since you gave it back to me, but be working on that a little bit, too. It's not due until for another month or that's so, so I've got a ways to go, but I want to, I want to get Winger done. Mm-hmm. So that's what's been going on there. I finished a book this week, too. Um, I talked a little bit last week about Symptoms of Being Human mm-hmm. uh, by Jeff yes. Garvin. It's so good. Oh my god. I don't usually do audiobooks when I'm not in the car, but I had like two and a half hours to finish on it when I got back uh, from LA this last time. And so I would listen to it while I was working out, and then I deliberately did like a stint just to get it done, because I had to know how it ended. Uh, It is just brilliant. Um, As I mentioned last week, and in case you missed it, it's about a gender-fluid teen named Riley. Uh, They are... Coming to grips with how they feel about themselves, um, what it means to them to be gender fluid, how to come out to people, um, dealing with going to a new school, dealing with a father who's running for public office, um, and he's not out, or they are not out to their parents yet. I have to apologize. I actually goofed up on my pronouns last week doing a his, her thing. Proper pronoun for gender fluid, unless they tell you otherwise, would be they, there. I uh, did a little research on that so I could get it more correct because I kind of had a, a suspicion I was doing it wrong. Um, traded some emails with Jeff Garvin over the last week, and we're trying to get him on the show um, okay. in the future. So hopefully late April, early May, we're able to get him on the show and talk to him. This is his debut novel, and I'd like to you know, find out how he chose this material for his debut novel, what it was like to get it in the hands of a traditional publisher mm-hmm. uh, because it is traditionally published. 
um, how that went and just you know, what was his research for this, what was the inspiration behind it. Um, I highly recommend everybody read it. It's not in the romance genre. Uh, it's very certainly YA, but so many good things uh, in that book. And if you know anybody that like runs a PFLAG library or something, I've already told our friend Lynn that, that she needs to read that book with the idea of getting it into her PFLAG library. So important, I think, to get that into the hands of teens. Um, to learn about either something, if they're not gender fluid, to learn about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they have gender fluid friends or questioning friends of some kind, it's a good book just to to read to see what's going on there. Cool. Yeah, very good. So, <laughs> on the opposite end of the spectrum <laughs> from that book, we discovered that there was a gay sex coloring book out in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, while we were traveling out to San Francisco last week, uh, we got followed on the podcast by their Twitter handle, uh, which I did not write down, but we'll put in the show notes. And I'm like, there's a gay sex coloring book, which I guess I shouldn't have been surprised about given the preponderance of adult coloring Mm -hmm. these days, but we've ordered said coloring book (laughs) because we need to investigate that. Turns out there's three of them. Yay. Um, you want to show off your art? If you're on the video, if you're watching the video, you can see the artwork. They give you a free page. Is this on their website or something? Uh, we'll link to it. There's a way to link it. If you sign up for their email list, you actually get access to a free coloring page, which Will is now showing on the, on the for the for those watching on the video. Yes, I colored my free coloring page, and um, we ordered the book. We have ordered the book. We ordered book one. We eagerly await it. Yes, it's Should supposed be, to be here next week, I think. Should be fine. Yeah, awesome. and I have not colored my free page yet. My free page is still sitting over here, all blank, sad and, and black sad and white, and black and white with yeah. no color. I'll, I'll uh, get to that. And we tried to decide how to do mine different than yours. Yes. So, but uh, we might have them on the show too, or him, or her. I actually don't know <laughs> who created this. If it's a team or if it's a person, mm-hmm. um, but it might be interesting to find out how they, you know, came up with the idea of this coloring book and where they drew the images from and whatnot. Um, you gave me an interesting factoid about the adult coloring craze this week, too. Well, yes, I did. I read somewhere, I believe it was on the... Uh, <laughs> I can't remember what the website was. Um, you can still give the factoid, though. There, There is a colored pencil shortage due to the um, popularity... Uh, of adult coloring. Somewhere, I believe it might be in England, there's this, you know, ritzy fancy company that makes, you know, expensive high-end colored pencils, you know, for artists and that sort of thing. But the recent coloring book boom has, uh, well, been frankly very good for them uh, because, you know, ritzy high-end adult colorers want the very best pencils money can buy uh so they've added extra shifts at this one factory to help fill the demand for uh colored pencils that's kind of crazy i know but yeah you're not contributing to that you tend to go with old school crayons and markers yes i do i'm he's a crayola guy i'm old school (laughs) yep that's me i'm old school when it comes to coloring (laughs) Uh, okay, moving on. Uh, anyway, 
Uh, in the TV world, because, you know, we've got our little reality bits of TV that we follow, uh, voice battles concluded this week. Mm-hmm. And they were kick-ass. Really, really good. I mean, my goodness. Now, the one thing I will say is shame on NBC for, I think they just gave a bit of a preview of, like, four battles that they just went, while you were away, this happened. Show me the whole thing. Mm. Seriously. Show me the whole thing. Um... But some five that I wanted to call out that I thought were just extraordinary. Uh, Brittany and Trey on Fleetwood Mac's The Chain, mm-hmm. they just rock that out. They were not mimicking Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham in any way. They made that their own, and it was awesome. And they both went through, because Brittany won, but Trey got stolen. Uh, Laith and Matt on Honky Tonk Woman. I don't. I can't remember a battle in all of two seasons now that we've watched. This being the third, where there've been two rockers, both playing guitar, battling on the same number. They don't usually get paired up that way, and it was a, it was really awesome to see something so different. Uh, they really rocked out. Adam did a good job pairing them. I was sad that Matt didn't get stolen, but Lath won, and I thought he deserved it because his his voice plus his guitar playing is formidable. And I know the voice isn't about the guitar playing, but mm-hmm. that man can play some guitar. Yes, he can. Um, Daniel and Kristen did uh, Adele's Turning Tables, and I can't think of a time I've heard an Adele song as a duet. I've heard males sing Adele on The Voice and some other places. Um, actually, that's not true. Adele was a duet on Glee with Jonathan Groff and Leah Michelle doing, uh, I can't think of the song, but I can hear it in my head. That's so bad. Uh, I'll see if I can come back to it because it was it's one of my favorite things and I thought they did a really good job with it but Daniel and Kristen did turning tables on the voice and that was all kinds of awesome mm-hmm. um, and Daniel won and I was happy for him because he's on my team on the app <laughs> I need the people on my team to, to get through um, California Dreamin' 2 with Allison and Lacey was nice I've never heard they mentioned that it was some other arrangement other than the Mamas and the Papas that was more rock and roll and I like that a lot. And I like Allison. I was glad that she won. But I think the battle of the of the episodes that there were were Brian and Malik doing It's a Man's 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 World. Those two just killed it. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember another time that there's been a three-person steal. That, you know, Brian won it and then everybody was like, boom! And they wanted, all of them wanted Malik. So that, that was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I've been I've enjoyed the battles. I don't know anyone's names yet. It's still uh, incredibly early in the show, so um, I know I like the two cute guys, uh, and I like Curly Sue. Yes. Um. So those are my three. And I favorites. think I think Curly Sue is Allison. Allison from is, California Dream. That's her actual name. Allison uh, was a child star, and her her most famous role was in Curly Sue and now she's all grown up and she uh, is killing it. Um, she's super amazing. Uh, so if you want to see uh, what Curly Sue is up to now, tune into The Voice. Yeah. Mondays and Tuesdays on NBC. <laughs> yeah. And you're right about not knowing names yet. Unlike a couple seasons past where it's like you knew Sawyer from the get-go and you knew Jordan from the get-go mm-hmm. as breakouts. There's no real... I think breakout this year yet. It's not so far. I don't feel like it. Which I think is kind of nice. It makes it, it keeps it interesting. Keeps you on your toes. Interesting. Yeah. Um, we've mentioned in the past that we don't tend to watch American Idol 
but because of Chadrick from Romance Out Loud, his recommendation of La Portia Renee, um, wow, that girl's awesome. Yes, she is. I've watched some stuff uh, <clears throat> on YouTube. I watched her with um, Fantasia singing Summertime from a previous Idol episode, and then we watched her, This I think it was this past week. Adam Lambert was on, so we actually taped the episode. Yeah, we so. watched her, and we watched Adam, and I think that was it. And that's all we needed to see. But she is spectacular. If she doesn't win, I think, I don't know, I haven't heard any of the other contestants, but if she doesn't win, she will probably go on to a Jennifer Hudson career, but it doesn't matter if she wins. No. No. So do you want to talk about Mr. Cutie Man? This past week, Dancing with the Stars premiered. Um... Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. It was this past Monday. I've lost track of time. Um, So last week was the very first episode, the premiere episode, uh, and we sped through it rather quickly. Um, We enjoyed Kim Fields a lot, you know. She was a delight. She's a hoot, a hoot and a half. I didn't know she was a real housewife. Uh, She is currently a real housewife of of Atlanta. We, of course, uh, remember her uh, from the beloved... 80s sitcom Facts of Life, and she's done, of course, other things in her career, but um, she's really good, uh, very enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, paired with, she was Sasha, is that right? Uh, yes. I think so, I which believe. is nice, because I like, I like Sasha, so uh-huh. it's nice to see him as a pro. Uh, Niall and Peta slayed it. Oh my god, I think he was tied at the top when it was done. Yeah, I believe so. Um, yeah, I, he's, he's amazing. He's perfect. He is amazing. He did <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> a, he did a great cha-cha and I was unlike, apparently from the package and the, and the, what we heard, unlike Marley Matlin, who isn't completely deaf mm-hmm. and could pick up like some of the vibrations and stuff, he hears nothing nope. and yet he did it, I think, I mean, obviously the judges agreed. It was a stunning week one dance. Yes. And it was all done because he watches PETA, and he and PETA had certain uh, cues that they used so that he knew when to do certain things, and they pulled it off. Mm -hmm. He's been doing an online blog or video log for People Magazine, uh, uh, and it shows up on some of his uh, social media feeds. Um, so I've been watching some of those videos, and uh, they seem to be learning a lot from one another, and they uh, have chemistry, and then the, I think they uh, uh, enjoy what they're doing, which is, I think is important, because it certainly comes across on television. It does, I mean, from the very get-go, and I thought it was interesting that apparently she didn't know he was deaf. No, apparently not at first. <laughs> It's like you think they might have told her that before sending her in, but no, they apparently did not. Oh, those wacky producers. Uh, but hopefully Niall will have a long uh, career in these 10 weeks. Um, we forgot to vote for him. we got to vote for him. Even if we don't watch the show live, we got to be able to vote. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and I watched, and, and you kind of didn't. Uh, I kind of didn't. You you poked in on it a couple times. Uh, Fox's presentation of the Passion Live, which happened last Sunday, uh, so the Sunday before Easter. Um, I was fascinated for a couple reasons. Initially, I found it interesting the lineup of people who were in it. Uh, Trisha Yearwood um, was playing uh, Mary. 
Uh, I can't think of this guy's name, but he was in telenovela. Do you know his name right off the top of your head? No. He was playing Jesus. Um, Seal was playing uh, Pontius Pilate. And Chris Doherty, is that right? Was playing Judas. Um, and Tyler Perry was narrating. Big live presentation in New Orleans. Um, some of which I don't think was live live, but maybe. But, well, here's the thing that I thought was interesting. So there was a lot of video stuff of getting... Jesus and the disciples through, uh, and if you're watching the video, you can see the faces he's that Will's making as I'm as I'm talking about this, as they're as they were moving through New Orleans, which was standing in for Jerusalem to get to where the live stage was. They were singing, but the band was playing on stage, and the chorus was singing with them, but they weren't there, and there was no way that these things were being done live. No matter how good your camera work is, that's just not happening live. And they did all this with a mix of taller narrating and contemporary music. Um, some of which I did not recognize, but some of which I did. Um, I found the production to be ambitious and handled well. I think it presented well to the TV audience. Might have presented well to the people who were around the stage uh, in New Orleans where the live show was happening. Um, I think anytime you can present a message of love and forgiveness is not a bad thing. Thank you. <laughs> um, I thought that the one, the one weirdly placed song I thought was uh, "We Don't Need Another Hero," the Tina Turner song from Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, uh, was used by Pontius Pilate right after he sentenced Jesus to death, or as he was doing it, which I thought was an interesting choice. Primarily because I mean, it's so in my head as a song that belongs in the Mad Max movie that it seemed a weird choice to try to pull into this context since there's so much backstory to that particular song. So the idea here is if it was popular enough, and I can't tell by looking at the ratings from this last week if it was popular enough, to do this every year in a different city with a different cast with a different batch of contemporary songs feeding into it. So if it happens again next year, I'll tune back in to see how that works out because I didn't find it. I didn't find it offensive to watch. It was somewhat entertaining it fit for my idea of Easter programming. Um, yeah. So I know you thought, and I will quote you, this is stupid. Would you like to elaborate a little bit? It was lame. If you missed it, you didn't miss much. And I suspect a lot of people did. I didn't see anything in my feeds about this, but I didn't mind it. So, well, okay. There you go. That's a ringing endorsement if ever I heard one. <laughs> So, question of the week. Last week's question was, what podcasts are you listening to? Now, AJ said that his favorite podcast to listen to, aside from this one, obviously, oh, thank you, AJ. Thanks, AJ. Are, are the Savage Lovecast and Media Carnivores, hosted by Brent Hartinger. Uh, he's the author of Geography Club. And I, now I want to tune into Media Carnivores, because I didn't know Brent had a podcast. I yeah, I hadn't heard of that one either. So, thanks for that recommendation, yeah. AJ. Uh, Katie says that our podcast is the first that she's listened to, but Romance Out Loud sounds great, and it is, so you should pick that up. Mm -hmm. um, she's listened to base, Basement Yard a little bit, but she says that Joe Santa, 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 Santa mm, blah, 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 blah. I got that from you, my little tongue twisted this today. Mm. Joe Santagaro just complains about weird, crazy people and stuff, and sometimes he's too crass for her. Uh... Katie also asked us a question in her response, 
And we thank you very much for that. We like getting questions uh, from the listeners. And we're going to hold that as a question for an upcoming episode. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, yes. We will call you out for that, Katie, when we get there. And you can see the other responses we got uh, from this week's question on the show notes page for this particular episode. Episode number 25. Yes. And you'll we link up to all the podcasts mentioned as well, so they'll be easy for people to go find. Oh, good. Yeah. That'll be good. So... While we were traveling last week, uh, we had our podcast palooza of our own. Mm-hmm. Um, that five and a half hour drive to San Francisco is perfect for catching up on a lot of podcasts. And there were two episodes of what we listened to that I thought were really interesting for our audience, and especially the authors in our audience, but some other folks too, uh, for the introverts in the audience. Um, Joanna Penn on the Creative Pen podcast had an interview with Beth Bulow who is the author of a new book called The Introvert Entrepreneur. And I found the talk that they had about introverts and extroverts and how they use their energy in different ways uh, completely fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, shy is not does not mean you're an introvert and vice versa. You can be shy but not be an introvert. Correct. And you can be an introvert and not shy. Mm-hmm. Uh and I found that interesting. In fact, one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this on the show just a little bit is because in the GRL 2016 group on Facebook, somebody was talking about introverts and how to prepare for a show like this and were there tools out there that could help them kind of get ready for it. Because um, we, as I think most people know, a lot of authors are introverts and it can be terrifying when you've got to get out there and interact with people who want to talk to you and potentially be on panels and potentially do readings and potentially be in these big group settings. Um, I know for us, like the parties are just the most daunting thing in the world for us mm-hmm. to go to, even though we know a good number of people there, there's all this, there are these crowds and all this stuff going on and a lot of noise and it's, it's exhausting, well, which is why we're not there for more I, than a few minutes. Well, usually. I don't, uh... I don't think it's necess- the parties necessarily. I think pers- personally, uh, um, I feel that it's kind of like, you know how they say you you have a certain certain reserve of willpower at the beginning of every single day. This is why, you know, all the, you know, the habit hacking people say you know do the hardest thing you have to do you know first thing in the morning Mm -hmm. that way it's out of the way and it's done and and, and you don't have to worry about it and procrastinate about it and all throughout the day and and it wears down your willpower uh i feel that um i feel like that's uh my in my introversion is kind of like that i have a certain reserve a certain level of of uh social energy i get to expend every day Mm -hmm. so in particular when we are going to grl i uh i uh since we've done this several times now uh, i know what to expect at this particular event I know when I need to expend that social energy and when I can, you know, uh, rest up and just, you know, maybe have a quiet moment with some friends or if I need to, I can go back to the room and 
hang out by myself for a while or that kind of thing. And the evening, it's not the the events themselves in the evenings that I object to. It's the simple fact that, you know, they're in the evenings. And I've... you spent your, your I've social spent energy. My social energy is gone by that point. And I'm just like, I'm kind of done. Yeah. So the the idea of the social energy personally just me. I found and Beth talked about it extensively in the interview, and we'll link to this episode um, in the show notes. Uh, I never realized it that way, but I could definitely feel it in myself. Mm -hmm. Like if I've come off a panel, or I've come off a reading, or come out of a signing, for example, um, I need a moment, you know, and that might just be you know going off and having a drink of water and taking a deep breath or it might be go back to the room for a little bit uh, if there's time just just to clarify uh in this particular episode of the creative pen that, that we're talking about with beth bulo is that her name uh-huh uh what uh, she defines you know being an introvert and an extrovert is uh how you uh gain or expend energy it's not about being shy or outgoing yeah what it's really about is is about um, introverts get energy from being by themselves. So social situations can be kind of stressful uh, and it drains your energy. Now, extroverts are essentially the opposite. You know, when they're alone, they get maybe get kind of bored and antsy and it's a little bit stressful. But when they're with a group of people, that's when they feel, you know, happiness. They're energized by being around a group. So that's that's where this energy talk is coming mm-hmm. from. He explained it much better than I did. <laughs> uh, but I think, you know... So, as we... so, yeah, in social situations, it pays to know w- where your energy uh, ebbs and flows. Kind of just uh, It's sort of know thyself kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah, and plan for it. Yes, most definitely. Uh, but the, the interview was really good, and I kind of want to get the book. And read it too. So, if you think you're in this introvert space, and she she really goes into it, I think why authors can get a lot out of this too is it's really not just put in terms of events, but in terms of being the entrepreneur, which many authors are, because they're out there and having to market their work and they're having to do these other things. It's not. It's more than about events, and there's a lot of good tips in there for how to manage that mm-hmm. and not let it overwhelm you. Exactly. Yeah. Um, the other podcast that we listened to that I thought was quite interesting was an episode of the self-publishing podcast, which is hosted by Johnny, Sean, and Dave. Uh, they talked about how to be happy where you are in your writing career. And I think this also is something that all authors go through. You have that moment where you either got the bad review or your book didn't sell quite what you thought it did, or you're not you're not where you th- your expectations had you being. And this talked about being able to find the space to be happy where you are if you look at your career as a whole and where you are and where you're trying to go. Did I accurately put that correctly, do you think? I think so. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Once again, this was another uh, podcast episode. Uh, It it was about uh, knowing yourself and understanding where where you are. And in this particular context... Um, knowing uh, where you are in your career 
and being realistic about where you are in your career and um, the steps uh, that you need to take moving forward. Um, it also had a little bit to do about uh, comparisonitis. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's you know all well and good to compare yourself to someone else in your particular genre. They might be you know selling a bazillion books or making the you know New York Times extended list or or they have the number one book for the week or you know and that's you know fine you can't but you have to realize you know they're doing their thing you mm-hmm. need to do you uh, and it's going to be entirely different now if they're doing something really interesting and smart you can drill down and look at how they did that and maybe um, adapt that to your own uh, process uh, in writing or in business. Uh, But really, I think what it was about is uh, being happy with and understanding where you are in uh, your writing career. And this particular episode, of course, focused on, you know, uh, self-published writers, but I think it also uh, is applicable to um, just about anything, really. <laughs> well, yeah, um, it applies to—I mean, so much. Just you could apply it to you know how to be happy where you are in your career, period, regardless of what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it, it helps when you apply it to the writers because we all, you know, a lot of us want to branch out there and you know write for a living, but it takes a lot to get there. Yeah. You've got to build up the backlist and you've got to, because we're all not going to write the Martian out of the gate no. <laughs> and then have a movie deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was interesting. So yeah, we'll link up to that one as well um, in the show notes and you can give it a listen if you're so inspired to do so. Yeah. What's up next? I was going to let you go with the what's next because um, I, I haven't made you start the discussion on anything so far. Last night, Jeff and I watched Carol, uh, a movie that came out... Sometime last year. Sometime last year. <laughs> uh, it's the Todd Haynes movie based on the Patricia Highsmith novel, uh, The Price of Salt. And it starred Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara. Uh, and I see with your helpful show notes right here on the computer, it got six Oscar nominations. Yeah. And about uh, a bajillion other types of nominations. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think I think IMDb said two hundred and seven nominations and fifty seven. Oh I know, and, and fifty seven <laughs> wins across this broad scope of, oh, of awards that they uh, track on IMDb. Good for them. Yeah. So the price for those of you who don't know, the price of salt is considered a sort of uh, a classic in lesbian pulp literature. Um, it was written by Highsmith. Um, Really at the point where her career was starting to take off. Um, This particular uh, book um, was not published by her traditional publishers. It was was published by a paperback house, uh, mainly because of the lesbian themes. And she published it under a pseudonym. Um, This was around in 52 or 53 when this particular book was published and when the story takes place. Um, Patricia Highsmith was um, really starting to come into her own. She had, I believe, by that point, written the book that would later become Strangers on a Train. Mm -hmm. Um, She was also about a year or so away from writing The Talented Mr. Ripley. Um, So, yeah. Uh, 
obviously the uh, there's uh, a strong literary pedigree uh, for this particular property and the story itself is um, about two women in uh, early uh, 1950s New York um, they meet uh, and fall in love uh, there are obviously problems and uh, they start to uh, and try to overcome them which is you know an oversimplification of a two-hour film but uh, that's essentially it in a nutshell yeah it's worth noting that the price of salt is widely considered to be the first lesbian novel with a happy or at least happy for now ending mm -hmm. um, uh, not all lesbian and gay books of that era I think it's it's a misnomer not all of them ended in you know uh, suicide, and despair, or, or and... death, and that sort of stuff. Not all of them did, uh, but this was uh, widely considered one of the first to have a, a happy ending. What were your thoughts on the film? It was really good. It was really good. I mean, <laughs> Kate and Rooney, I thought, just embodied those characters so much. Mm -hmm. I mean, you felt, with Kate, you really felt that desperation to kind of escape. She's she's married. She's getting divorced in the film. Um, and you feel her desperation both to keep her daughter but do what's best for her daughter and that she's really falling uh, for Rooney's character. Uh, Rooney, as she starts, she doesn't know what she wants in life. She's a shop girl and it's at Christmas time. She might want to be a photographer. She might want to be something else. She might be in love with this guy, but she might not be. Uh, and she expresses this in so many different ways throughout the film that she doesn't know what she wants. And then she figures out what she wants, and it's a hard time to get to it. Uh, I think she grows more. Rooney's character grows more in the movie. But Kate also goes through so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there's an age difference there that I wasn't really clear how big the age difference was. I'd say, would you say it's at least 10 years difference between the characters? 10 to 20, probably. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of comparisons in this film to Far From Heaven, uh, which Todd Haynes also directed. Not so much in cinematic look, because Far From Heaven certainly had that Douglas Sirk look to it. But in terms of time and place and feeling, like I wouldn't have been surprised to see characters from Far From Heaven walking around in the background here somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, and the themes are certainly very similar. Um, the desperation of the times, the not being able to live out uh, safely or at all, really, um, and expect to get along in society so much. Yeah, um, Really good film and a really good slice of... Slice of 1950s uh, gay and lesbian life, I think. Um, it was also, um, it made me miss New York. It's so, so beautifully produced and realized. And it was only till after the movie, uh, watching some of the special features, uh, I learned that the movie was shot in Cincinnati. Yeah, right. It's like, what? Because there are parts of Cincinnati it's, that look like 1950s New York. It's, it is so beautiful and so beautifully realized and so evocative of New York in that period. Mm -hmm. uh, it's shocking that it was anywhere but but New York. Mm -hmm. um, it really made me miss the city. So 
Um, but you'll be back in the city in a couple of weeks. Actually, so. yes, that's very true. <laughs> and then you'll go like, I remember why we left oh, here now. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, but yeah, really extraordinary film. I'm glad we glad we picked that up. Yes. And highly recommend it to the audience as mm-hmm. well. Uh, one thing I wanted to talk about uh, that's coming up in a month, uh, a month from today, as we're recording, actually, um, is Forty to Nunday. Uh, Forty to Nunday is a, a day of a national day to raise public awareness about LGBT youth homelessness and to provide supporters uh, with simple ways to help make a difference. It is put on by uh, the True Colors Foundation, um, which is Cindy Lauper's. Uh, umbrella organization that works with uh, LGBT groups in so many different ways. Um, the stat here that where the 40 to none name comes from is that approximately 40% of youth experiencing homelessness identify as LGBT, uh, which is so high when you put it against the fact that LGBT young people make up less than 7% of the general youth population. Mm-hmm. So you've got kids here who are thrown out of their homes, who don't feel safe in their homes, uh, who may be experiencing homelessness with their families it, just because, and so they're part of that homeless population. Um, this is an important cause to me because uh, while I was in New York, I worked with two different organizations uh, that supported uh, youth in this capacity. Uh, one was called The Door, which worked with at-risk youth in general. They didn't necessarily have to be LGBT, uh, but I worked for a year in their college counseling area helping mm-hmm. at-risk youth uh, figure out how to research colleges, apply to colleges, get financial aid. Um, some truly heartbreaking stories in there with how these how these young people became at risk, uh, which could be anything because of their home situation. They could be homeless. They could be children of undocumented immigrants and that kind of thing, trying to you know get through and get education. The other organization I work with uh, was the Alley Forney Center, uh, where I spent a little over a year as a life coach in one of their uh, transitional housing units. Uh, these were units where uh, young people who had been in their uh, shelter program essentially graduated to the next level up where they were now living in this space with between six and eight other young people. They had to go to college. They had to have a job. They had to be making the strides to be becoming a not homeless adult. Mm-hmm. Um so many stories that I heard there and so much good work done by both of these organizations um, that the, the homeless youth and especially how it affects LGBT kids uh, means a lot to me. So I put the 40 to none day out there to our listeners to go check out, find out what you can do on that day to kind of make your stand against LGBT homelessness. Uh, TrueColorsFund.org slash 40 to none day is the place to go. That'll be linked up in the show notes. Uh, and you can find out what... Uh, they encourage you to do on that day and leading up to that day to help that cause. So something to think about there. When was that again? It is Wednesday, April 27th. Okay. Awesome. Sounds good. Cool. Okay. How about we get to the question of this week? How about? So I've been on a kick about bookstores for like the last couple of weeks. Um, So the question for this week is how often do you browse a physical bookstore for books? And I was careful to phrase it as browse, not necessarily buy, because I'm really bad sometimes about browsing and taking my little Amazon app and going snap and putting something in my wish list. Whether it's because I'm going to buy it in the bookstore later, or I'm going to buy it on Audible, as I did with Symptoms of Being Human, or I might buy it on Amazon. Yes, I really said that. Um, 
So yeah, how often do you, do you browse a physical bookstore for books? Mm-hmm. So you just answered the question yourself. I essentially answered it for myself. Um, I do it as much as I as I can. And I don't, I don't think what you just said is a bad thing at all. I think it's simply a reality of the market, uh, and this is you know where we are at now. Um, of course, people go browse physical stores for not just for books for, for you know just about anything and then they can whip out their phones and they can look at amazon or just about anywhere online and you know price compare and try and get the best deal um so that's just how the world works now and you don't need to be ashamed of that um, i'm not but i didn't mean to imply <laughs> that i was <laughs> how, how often do i browse physical bookstores um here uh where we live uh, we do it once in a while. I'd um, say at least a couple times a month, most uh, likely. Yeah, at least once or twice a month. We don't have a traditional chain bookstore uh, in any of the towns that we live in. Uh, we have a whole lot of used bookstores, uh, which are nice. We don't always buy things there, um, but we stick our heads in to see what's you know new and interesting. Well, I think it's more accurate to say that we've got... We've got two bookstores that are fully used, and we've got two that are a mix of new and used. Because Northtown and Eureka Books are both, have a fair stock of new books. But they're not traditional chain stores like a Barnes & Noble. They are certainly more curated. They have an extremely limited um, offering of new books. Yes. So, I... And I wouldn't even say it's the best sellers. These things are really heavily curated. Yes. And yet I find them to be a delight. So, <laughs> But yeah, we're in there a couple times a month. And then when we go road tripping or, or going other places, if there are bookstores to be seen, we will stop in. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a Barnes & Noble or a used or whatever. Yeah, I feel... In my trips to the physical bookstore, I find myself browsing, in the traditional sense, less and less, um, simply because I know they don't have what I want, truthfully. I like, um, well, to the general population, I like esoteric things. I like, you know, stuff about Pulp Fiction and writers of the past and stuff like that. And, of course, I'm always on the lookout for, you know, gay romance or gay fiction. Uh, In most bookstores, you know, even locally owned or chain bookstores have almost none of that. So I don't really browse those stores in the traditional sense anymore. Interesting. Interesting. Unless I don't have anything to do and I need to kill some time. Ah! (laughs) But, yeah. I guess I'm a little different that way because I do browse specifically. Like, I look at YA Mm -hmm. specifically, which I can look at almost anywhere. Um, If there's a gay section, I'll look at that. Uh, I'll tend to look at what the new books, the new mainstream books are and, and look at those. Um... But it's interesting because things like symptoms of the symptoms of being human, I would have never found on Amazon. Mm-hmm. I don't think I ever would have come across that book. 
Um, I talk a lot more about this um, in my column at Prison Book Alliance this month, uh, okay. which just came out as we're recording on the on Sunday the 27th. Um, so I'll link up to that in the show notes too for kind of what my extended answer would be to okay. this question. Um, yeah. So let us know. if Do you browse a physical bookstore for books? Um, and give us an idea of you know what that means to you. Uh, you can leave answers on the show notes page for this episode at biggayfictionpodcast.com. Okay. And of course, you can suggest a question too if you'd like. And as we as we already mentioned, we love that when it happens. Yes. Um, quick note about the shirt he's wearing today. Oh yeah, he's at his Read with Pride shirt, mm-hmm. which Queer Centric Books uh, offers uh, through the end of this month, which will just be a few days as this podcast drops on Monday the twenty eighth. Uh, they're giving at least a portion of the proceeds of this shirt, if not all of them. I should have looked this up a little more before I said it. Um, to support the LGBT Center in Raleigh, North Carolina, um, as they deal with that horrific bill that's on the verge of being signed in North Carolina. So if you like his Read With Pride shirt, which you see on the video feed, as well as on the featured uh, photos from this week's episode... Uh, they'll be, we'll link up to it in the show notes so you can go get one of your own and be stylish like him and also help out some folks in a state uh, where things aren't so good right now. Yeah. So go go to the shop page at queercentric.com and uh, check out what they have on offer. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And and try to do that before the end of March. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, so we hit the road in early April. We go out to Rainbow Book Fair, which is Saturday, April 9th at the John Jay... College of Criminal Justice in their student cafeteria, which is a, a I know, it's, it's a weird place to be. It's on 59th Street, 59th Street and 10th Avenue in New York City. Uh, it's a, it's a, I've seen pictures of the venue. It's so much better than the Holiday Inn. I can't even tell you. Well, frankly, anything would be better than the Holiday Inn. Standing on the street would be better yeah, than in, that, in that ballroom. Yeah. Um, so um, I'll be there. Um, exhibiting books. I've got a reading at 4 o'clock that afternoon, somewhere between 4 and 4.20. I'll have four whole minutes to read. So if you want to see that happen, come on by. Uh, I'm exhibiting with my friend Bob Glasscock, who's the creator of the comic strip Casey at the Bat. Um, Will will be hanging out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, throughout the day. Throughout the day, wandering around. Yeah. Uh, we'll be doing some podcast stuff there. We've got podcast swag. If you want to come get some... Some goodies with our logo on it and a, and a hot guy. <laughs> we'll have bookmarks and magnets and and uh, stickers. And if you're a constant listener, you won't need our, our episode sampler CD, but we'll have those as well. Yeah. Um, Good stuff. And next week, Bob will actually be joining me on the podcast uh, for a little pre-RBF interview. So stop on by for that as well next week. We've got some other good stuff coming up in the, in the next couple weeks, too. Uh, we've got Claire London. Coming up, we did a sit down with her when we were at Dream Spinner uh, back at the first of March. So we'll have her. We're recording some stuff in New York, uh, not only at the book fair, uh, but we are going to be talking to the folks who run the bookstore inside of uh, the LGBT center there, mm-hmm. and find out from them what it's like actually managing a bookstore in in the times that we're in, and and being a niche like they are. Yeah. So that's going to be an interesting conversation, especially on the on the this whole physical bookstore question I posed this week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Should be interesting. Yeah. An interesting, uh, fun-filled trip. We've also um, 
not only have book-related things to do, we're going to be uh, seeing some shows and yeah, hanging out, doing New, New Yorky things. It's the, and, spring New, it's the spring theater trip as well. Yeah, so that should be fun. Yeah, we could do a whole episode on the shows <laughs> that we see. I'm sure, uh, we'll probably you know, talk about those as well. Oh, no doubt. All right. So thanks for joining us this week. We will see you back here next week. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction Podcast. For detailed show notes, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com.